building blocks. Um, this is, we've been talking about faith uh, for quite some time, and we're going to jump back into our lesson where we talk about individual people in the Bible that God used when they had incredible faith, and he used them in, in incredible ways for his kingdom, and what that looks like for our lives today to have that kind of faith. How do you have that? What does it look like to live that out? Uh, what are some of the benefits of doing that? But tonight we're going to talk about uh, an aspect of faith in general, one that's not necessarily talked about as much, and it's called a stumbling block. Um, so when you hear the word stumbling block, um, people think different things, okay? The one example I think of, though, is this. Uh, I used to love running track. I definitely like to shake down to that. But I was, when I was in college, I was a sprinter, and so uh, I loved the adrenaline rush of getting down on the blocks, hearing the starting gun, taking off as fast as I could, and trying to beat the other guys in the line. Uh, in a track sprint, if you're running full speed, the fastest you can, typically the person that is in the, in the best shape and has the best athletic form and is trained the hardest is going to win. Because you may start off faster than other people, but as the race goes on, if you don't have the kind of endurance that someone else does, they'll end up passing you before the finish line. If you're not as in, as in good of shape as somebody else is, you'll start losing your form, and, and, and again, you'll kind of lose it before you get to the finish line. Uh, one of the best examples of this is Usain Bolt. Everybody know who Usain Bolt is? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, if you look, him up, look him up if you want to. He's the world's fastest man. He won silver. Well, I don't think he I'll look up afterwards. His name is Usain Bolt. He's the world's fastest man. His time still hasn't been broken in the 200 or the 100. Um, and he um, he ran a 19 point. Um, he ran a 19.19 in the 200 uh, several years ago, and that was just unheard of. Uh, it was, a, it was a, it's a super fast time. That's 19.19 seconds. Uh, Usain Bolt is the best sprinter of all time. But now, if Usain Bolt is running full speed the fastest he possibly can, and say he's blowing out the rest of the competition, which a lot of times he would, if all of a sudden there's a rock in the lane that's like right in front of his path, he doesn't see it, and that you are spiked when you run in track because it helps you grab the ground faster and run a little bit quicker. So if he if his spikes hit that rock, he's probably got to immediately hit the ground. And when you go that fast and you hit that rock and you hit the ground, you're probably not going to recover, at least not in the time to finish the race. So you know, even though he was the fastest, most athletic, most well-trained person there, he should have easily won the race because he hit that stumbling block he lost everything. And the same thing is kind of true in our lives today, that as a Christian, you can be the strongest Christian, go to church every Wednesday, every Sunday, go to mission trips, read your Bible, things like that. But even if you're the strongest Christian and, and you're running the race of life well, and you're doing things for God, if you're not aware of stumbling blocks, you can easily hit one in life and fall very, very quickly and get off course. And if you don't, have help to pick you up, you don't have good people around you to pick you up and get you back on the right path, you can be left behind in the race of life. And so we're going to talk about today, what stumbling blocks do you need to avoid? So I want you guys to think for a second, in your life today, what stumbling blocks do you have? Here's what a stumbling block would be. A stumbling block would be something that you, a sin struggle that you might have. So everybody struggles different. Maybe your struggle is, you know, pornography or lust, or maybe your struggle is lying or cheating or gossiping. You know, some people have an, an addiction to, to 
technology where, you know, they're just going to be on the phones or, their, or screens all the time. Uh, and because of that, they're going to ignore their family and their friends and, not, and more important things. That could end up being a sin problem. But even think about, like, think about alcohol, for an example. That's a problem for a lot of people. So I want you guys to think about a sin that you're prone to go back into. Whether it's something sexually, whether it's something privately, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's your words, maybe you have a hard time controlling your tongue. Well, all of us struggle with something different. But think about that struggle that you have in your life. And then think about the things that tempt you to go into that sin. Okay? And then how can you avoid those things altogether? The things that tempt you to go into that sin of the stumbling blocks. So, a definition could be things that tempt you to go into sin. So let me give you an example. Okay? If, say I'm an alcoholic, okay? I'm not an alcoholic, but um, I have my own problems. I'm just using this as an example. I know a lot of people that have that this is a big struggle for them. Say they're an alcoholic. This is a common thing in today's society. Well, going by a bar is not a sin. In other words, you're going to say, oh, that's a sin. I can't let you walk by a bar. Okay, that's not a sin. Um, being at a party that maybe is a good party, maybe it's a, a black tie party. But, and, but if you know you're an alcoholic, and if you know if I go by a bar, the temptation is going to be very high for me to go in there and get a drink. Or if I go to that black tie party, I'm going to be very tempted to drink too much there and get drunk. Then for you personally, that's not a good idea. And so those would be stumbling blocks. Because if you go to that party, if you go downtown at night, even though you may have good intentions, you know going there puts you in a situation where you're going to be tempted very highly and you're likely going to fall into sin. The same thing is true with like a, a sexual sin. Say you have a hard time controlling your body. Well, it's not wrong to be with your boyfriend or girlfriend necessarily at a movie, or it's not wrong necessarily, you know, be with them, uh, you know, watching Netflix or something. But if you're in a situation where you feel like you're going to be tempted to do something with them you're not supposed to do, then for you that may be a stumbling block. So you may need to go to a different location, a public place, where there's, there's people around. Does that kind of make sense? Does that make sense, guys? So think about a sin that you have in your life. We're not going to share these. I just want you to think about it yourself privately. And write it down. Write, put it on your phone somewhere where you can see it. Think about a sin that you struggle with. And I want you to backtrace that sin and think about what things lead into that sin. What kind of steps lead me to do that sin? You know, think about this. Think about if you're somebody that has a hard time controlling their tongue, maybe like when you get mad, you say curse words or things you shouldn't say, well, what leads you to get mad? What leads you to that point? And is there a way you can avoid that to be all together? Because if you can cut out the stumbling blocks, most times you can cut out the sin. Um, so I want you guys to think about that. The second thing I want to look at tonight is this. Even if you're doing pretty well, avoiding the stumbling blocks in your life, you could, you could be a stumbling block for others, un unknowingly. Now, here's what I mean by that. Say, say you go to this, these parties, and they have alcohol, and you just use that example here, 
and you, you drink some alcohol, but you don't, you don't have a problem getting drunk. You know how to control yourself. Alcoholism has never been a problem for you. Okay, so it may not be a sin for you to, to drink at your parties if you're of age. Now, here's the thing that's, that's, that's the catcher, though. Say you go with your friend Adam, okay, and Adam does have a problem with alcohol. You know he's gotten drunk before. You know this is an issue for him. And if you go to a party, it's not wise for you to drink around Adam. Even though Adam's not drinking, you're tempting him just by having that beside him. So even though what you're doing is not necessarily sinful, because, again, you're not getting drunk, and you know how to control yourself, you're 21 years or older, because you're around Adam, you're going to tempt him to go into that sin, because that's the weak area for him. And that's what Jesus talks about when he says, being a stumbling block for others. So one thing I want to read you guys a passage here in Luke 17. And it says, Jesus said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Which one of you, having a servant tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes into the, in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat. Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink, and later, as my servant, you can eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did what he was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So in this passage, Jesus is going to challenge us to think differently about how we approach people and how we, how we live our lives. One is it to be on guard. Be on your guard. So this means, again, if we're going to be a stumbling block for others, we have to know what our friends may be struggling with. And if we're not struggling with that, we need to make sure we're not going into that to tempt them to fall back into that sin. That's what's called being on guard. It's not just looking out after yourself and avoiding your stumbling blocks, but also trying to make sure you're not a stumbling block for somebody else. Another way you can be a stumbling block at your age is... Uh, what you wear. We talked about that earlier. You know, you might not have a problem with lust. You might not have a problem with sexual morality, but you have no idea at school who does have that problem. So if you're wearing clothes that are revealing, if you're trying to show things off, you shouldn't show off, and you know what kind of outfits I'm talking about, boys or girls do this, then you're willingly putting yourself out there to tempt somebody else. And that's wrong. Um, because you're being a stumbling block for somebody else because their thoughts are going to probably blunder and he knows what that leads them to. And you were a cause of that. You were a stumbling block of that. Um, also, how you carry yourself. If you're very cocky and prideful and things like that, one that's wrong is also going to be a stumbling block for somebody else because it's going to put them down, make them think they're less worthy than you. Or if you're out there boasting and gossiping, they're probably going to want to boast and gossip too. And again, you're being a stumbling block for that person. So I want you guys to think about this. Um, it also says here, though, if you see somebody going down the path of sin, you're supposed to correct them, right? 
Now, how do you correct somebody that's starting down a path of sin? What do you guys think? How do you correct somebody that's going down a path of sin? Yeah, you see somebody like they're starting to do things that you know are going to lead them down that bad path that they shouldn't go down. How do you force correct one of your friends? You just say, like, hey, um, what are you doing to us? Oh, why are you uh, asking the reason why they're doing it? Because yeah. maybe they just feel like they're saying, well, it's going to, well, this isn't really right, right to do that. And yeah. That's good to show them the, the, the cause and effect of their actions. That's you good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, also, um, and I, I got this from this book here, uh, Bible Studies for Life, uh, Real Faith, and this is pretty good on this point, is if you see your friends struggling in sin or going down these, this path that you think is going to lead them to follow that sin that they're prone to, you have to, one, remember that you're also a sinner, okay? You're not perfect. You have your own problems. You have your own flaws. So don't approach them as, I'm better than you. How, how could you be falling into that? You, you don't. You know, just because you don't struggle with that sin doesn't mean it's not a real struggle for them. And the real struggle they have in sin, they might look at your sin and say, how oh, can you struggle with that? That's so easy to overcome. And that's because we all, we're all wired a little bit differently. So we all struggle with things differently. And so just because you think their sin is, is dumb or less than yours, it's not. All sin separates us from God. So remember, you're also a sinner, and that should make you humble when you approach them. But now I want you guys to listen to this, okay? It says, because sinning against others is such a serious issue, when we see others, particularly professing believers, living in ways that don't align with God's standards, we are to offer kind and patient correction. Kind and patient correction. And when others honestly confront our own sin, Likewise, worse will receive their correction in humility, honestly evaluating in their perspective what may be true and right. Whatever the case, confronting sin is often something Christians today avoid. But the Bible very clearly teaches that correcting sin is an important part of relationships among God's people. And when carried out with grace and humility, it leads to forgiveness and unity. Now catch this here. It says, when others offend us, we might be tempted to hold on to anger, bitterness, or resentment. However, Jesus taught we must be willing to forgive. If we are willing to forgive, it demonstrates we we'll experience God's forgiveness ourselves. If we refuse to forgive others, then God refuses to forgive us in turn. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We're called to follow Jesus in all the ways he lives, and this includes patterns of forgiveness. So I want you guys to think about two important things there in that little message. One, if you're going to course correct somebody, make sure you do it with love. But it's also important that you know it is biblical and you're called to as a Christian when you see your brother or sister going down a path of sin to bring them back to the truth. To show them the, the better way. To say, hey man, you, you realize what you're doing right now? Like, you know, the way you're living, like, you see where that's leading you. Like, that's not going to fulfill you. That's not going to give you a life that you really want. And if, if you don't say anything to all your friends, and you let them go down a path of sin, it's inevitably going to hurt them, probably hurt others. 
it's going to lead to a life of regrets. And if you truly love that person, that's not a way to love somebody. Because you just want the best for them. And if you know that going down this path is not going to be the best thing for them, then lovingly you should correct them in that. Now, when you correct somebody, do they always receive that correction well? No. Um, because we're all simple people, um, and we all have, um, I'd say we all have pride issues to some extent. However, if that friend is a true friend of yours, they'll take what you said, they'll think about it, and when they realize that you're right, what you're telling them is out of love, because you did it in the right way, out of patience and kindness, then they'll, they'll, they'll hopefully will change their actions, and it will be the best thing for them, and they'll thank you later. Now, here's the other problem with this, though, and it could be. If you're out there correcting other people, then when people correct you, you don't take the correction well, ain't nobody going to want to take your correction. Okay? If you're out there, if you're out there saying, hey, Elijah, you're, you're such a bad sinner, you should be living like this, I can't believe you're doing that, why, I can't believe you're living this way, you know, boom, boom, boom. If you're out there doing those kind of things, but then when Wyatt comes up to you and is like, well, Caitlin, you know, why are you living this way? And you're like, boy, don't talk to me. You know, if you're, if you, if you have that kind of attitude, then they're not going to listen to what you have to say anymore. And that's why it's important that uh, humility comes in here. That we have to realize that we're also going to be wrong sometimes. And if we want to do this with other people, we have to be willing to open to correction ourselves. You know, I've been corrected many times in my life. I handle it sometimes better than others. But when I, when I think about what that person's saying, if they're doing it with, with true love and genuineness, and they're doing it with a biblical truth, then I realize, hey, they're right. And there's some things in my life I need to change. And if I work on those things and I change those things, I become a better person because of it. And so that's what talks about the Bible, too, is that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And we're doing it in love and with the right mindset. We're actually strengthening one another. Because we're pointing out flaws and we're pointing them to something that's better, which is Jesus, the way he calls us to live. And, and if we take that correction, we keep taking it, we become better and better and better disciples, and we sharpen one another. Um, now, the last thing I want you guys to think about, to do all this, it takes faith. Um, to, to avoid stumbling blocks, to approach other people, confronting sin, to take correction, all of this takes a great deal of faith. You're not going to do any of this unless you truly believe who Jesus is. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Savior, and then he came and died for your sins, and, and, and you really have given your life to him, then you're going to do this because this is what he called you to do. And through that, you're going to see his blessings and realize it's the best thing for you. But if you don't have that relationship with him first in faith, then you're probably not going to do this. Because we live in a very selfish culture that's all about me, 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 and I'll focus on my life, you focus on your life, and we'll live the way we want to live. And that's how our culture teaches right now. But that's not what God teaches. God teaches unity in a different way. Unity is we all live the same way that he calls us to live. And when one of us is not living that way, unity is bringing that person back to that way. Because when one person gets off, it can quickly spread like cancer, and we have a society that we have today, and everybody's living in ways that are different than the Bible, and nobody's truly happy. Anxiety rates and depression are sky high in America. You wonder why, because people more and more are not living the way of the Bible. And, and, and outside the Bible... It doesn't bring lasting fulfillment and, and enjoyment. Um, so I said I wanted to talk about this on page 104. Although this is a great, great thing in this book. It says, 
And Jesus said his disciples didn't necessarily need a massive faith. However, following Jesus requires a huge commitment to obedience. Remember, Jesus is addressing the issue of forgiveness in his discussion of faith. It's one thing to speak in faith to a tree and see it uprooted and thrown into the sea. As impossible as this might seem, forgiving again and again, particularly when mistreated or injured, is even a bigger deal. But we must understand that forgiveness, reconciliation, and unity is a matter of faith. If a little faith goes a long way, imagine what the church would look like if we, as Jesus' followers, had big faith. What if we were so bold as to commit to lives of sold out obedience and act on all of God's promises? We may or may not see trees uprooted or mountains moved, but we would certainly see relationships healed, the struggling encouraged, the needy served generously, and sinners reconciled to God. And these are the greatest miracles of life. God has called his people that we would be set apart. And if we truly trust God and obey his simple commands, we'll be amazed as our faith grows. We have to be more like God and less like the world, and leave the world more to God, not have the world in us more to itself. So as we conclude here, I put I, I love this part it says here. It says, sometimes we stumble, fail, or miss the mark. But when we live by faith, showing grace to others, we will receive the same from God and others as well. When you are willing to take correction, when you're willing to look at the stumbling blocks in your life, write those down, put them in your phone, call those out, pray that God helps you overcome those, and when you have the faith to start avoiding those and start taking correction and calling out others in a loving and patient way, you begin to see God's blessings in your life over and over again. And the thing is, when you understand the forgiveness that Jesus offered you, even when you correct others and they respond in a negative way, or somebody hurts you, somebody's mean to you, instead of lashing out and saying, okay, I'm going to cancel them, it's the cancel culture we live in, you're going to forgive them. If they do it again tomorrow, you forgive them again if they ask repentance for it, if they ask forgiveness. Because you know that all the things you've done wrong, time and time again, every time Jesus forgives you, you don't deserve it. So even though this person may not deserve it, you forgive them anyways. Because you begin to live more and more like Jesus did. And through that, you see his greatest blessings that life has to offer. So let me pray for us and we'll close. Lord, I just pray that as we go to school, as we uh, approach our friends, that maybe aren't believers and maybe are believers, no matter if they are or aren't, I ask God that we live in a godly way, following your commands to the absolute best of our ability, God, in true faith and obedience and humility. And when somebody tries to correct us, then we take that advice. We look at that. And if it is biblical, good advice, we follow it. And God, I ask that we have the boldness to call out sins in others, but to do it in a loving and patient way, leading them to your truth and your righteousness. God, increase our faith. And we pray. Amen. All righty.